Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Do you have an it in your life? That's something that brings you hardship, stress, anxiety, fear, doubt, depression, anger, or any number of other negative feelings and emotions. What do you do when you find yourself in what seems like a truly impossible situation? All of us have probably found ourselves in situations like that. The question is, when those times come, how do we react? What do we do? Where can we find the answers? Well, the answer for it is Him. And I want to show you why this morning, by looking at a big it in the life of Daniel. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're making our way through the book of Daniel in our series, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. And today we come to Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel and his friends find themselves in one of those truly impossible situations. And as we'll hear Pastor Clay say, how Daniel and his friends responded and what they did was very important. Life throws us what Pastor Clay calls it moments, those times when it seems impossible. When those times come, we need to make sure we understand what to do and where to turn. We're glad you're with us for this important message about handling the it moments of our life. Now here's Pastor Clay. Do you have an it in your life? Do you know what I mean by that? Do you have something that's the something in your life. That's something that brings you hardship, stress, anxiety, fear, doubt, depression, anger, or any number of other negative feelings and emotions. It might be a circumstance, a job loss, a marriage crisis, financial pressure, school problems, a medical condition. It might be a person, a boss that's over-demanding and overbearing, a spouse that's unloving, having no spouse at all, a child that's rebellious, a friend that didn't turn out to be such a good friend. You know what I'm talking about? That thing, that situation, that person, that is the it in your life. Odds are, if you don't currently have an it in your life, you have at some time in the past. And it's a virtual certainty that you will have an it again in your life. It's part of life, isn't it? So what do we need to do when it happens? Where do we turn when it is stealing my peace, my joy, and my sleep? Well, the answer for it is him. And I want to show you why this morning, by looking at a big it in the life of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. It's a lot to read this morning, but I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles and follow along with us. Whether you have an old school hard copy or whether you're looking on your iPad or your phone, the text will be up on the screen as well. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. 
And then the king gave orders to call in the magicians and the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your house will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation." Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious, and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. And then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter in order that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him, and it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee, for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. 
Therefore, Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. And then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the vision in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me... This mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. That's a lot to grasp, isn't it? This is a big it in Daniel's life, isn't it? The king has a dream. In fact, the word is plural. He had dreams, probably meaning that he kept having a recurring dream, the same dream over and over. Now we know from verse 29 that the king's thoughts, as Daniel said, turned to what would take place in the future. And God then revealed to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream what would happen. But isn't it interesting that here's a guy with all the security that you could think anyone could possibly have. He's got wealth beyond comprehension. He's the most powerful man on earth at that time. He lives in absolute opulence and can have anything his heart desires. And yet at night, when he lays his head down to rest, he's thinking about, wondering about, probably even worrying about what the future holds. You know, Shakespeare was right. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's a hard lesson for us to learn, but it's an important one. And that is that it really doesn't matter how much we have. There will always be something else that we want. There will always be something else to worry about. And in fact, the truth is, the more stuff we have, the more stuff we just have to worry about. Listen, I'm not saying that having stuff is bad. I'm just saying, don't think you're going to be satisfied or content just because you have that stuff. Nebuchadnezzar is concerned for his kingdom. Will it last? Will it endure? Will I be overthrown or assassinated? Can I expand it? These are some of the thoughts that may well have been on the king's mind. The dream was the king's it. And when you're the king, it doesn't take long for your it to become everybody else's it. The king orders the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to not only interpret his dream, but to tell him the dream before they interpret it. 
Now, Daniel and his buddies aren't called in at this point because the king didn't yet know of Daniel's ability to interpret dreams. They were still fairly new in the kingdom. They had been in training. But the magicians and so forth do what you would naturally expect. They say to the king, tell us the dream, O king, and, and we'll gladly give you the interpretation. But the king is on to that game. He knows that they can, they can make up anything they want for the interpretation. And there's no way that he can know whether they're right or not. And the king apparently recognizes that this was, this was not just any old dream. The king seems to know that there is something significant about this dream. The king knows this is an important dream. And having the correct meaning of the dream was going to be very important. So in verse 10, the fortune tellers get, in my opinion, a little bold. They probably figured, what the hey? We got nothing to lose because the king's already declared that we're going to be torn limb from limb if we can't tell him the dream and the interpretation. So they say to the king, no king has ever demanded something like this. And then in verse 11, the fortune teller bunch finally get it right. Well, sort of. They say, moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. The original language root word meant a, a heavy weight. In other words, what they were saying was, this thing is too heavy to bear, king. Nobody could carry this thing. Nobody could do what you're asking. And so they say, and there was no one else who could declare it to the king except, watch this, except the gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Now they didn't understand that there was really only one true God, but they were right. No mortal man could do this. Only God could do something like this. Now, look at how God has set all of this up. Remember, this isn't just about a pagan king knowing the future of his kingdom. This is about God revealing his future plans for all of us. This is about bringing the nation of Israel back out of captivity in his timing. This is about so much more than Nebuchadnezzar can possibly understand at this point. And so God takes a pagan king, gives him a dream that would then bring him into contact with a young Jewish man who was really not much more than a boy, but who was standing for God and could be used by God to accomplish all that God had planned. For Daniel and his friends, the it in their lives was a death sentence, but God was working in it. God has had his plans and purposes. God always has his plans and purposes. Don't ever doubt what God can do with the it in your life. Maybe you're familiar with this verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. What I want you to hear today is that whatever your it is, God is in it. No matter how impossible something may seem, 
No matter how hard something may be, no matter how much you may be suffering, God can and God will work in and through it if you will turn it over to God. And this is where that word that we throw around a lot at church has to become more than well, more than just a word we throw around a lot at church. I'm talking about faith. That's such a central part of the story of Daniel. He had this unshakable faith that no matter how bad something might look, no matter how hard something might be, Daniel knew that God was ultimately at work in it. Does your faith look like that? Can you trust God with your it? Now, I'm not talking about whether God is able to handle it. I'm asking, are you willing to trust God with it? Are you willing to stop trying to fix it, stop trying to get out of it, and instead be willing to let go of it, to let go of control and say, God, I surrender it. I don't want it. I don't have to like it. But like John, Paul, George, and Ringo, I just have to let it be. Now, that doesn't mean that you just resign yourself to the fact that, oh, this is just the way it is. Woe is me. Faith is not throwing in the towel to the circumstances of our life. Faith is throwing it into the hands of God and leaving it there. I was reading a story recently about a woman named Adelaide Pollard. In 1907, Adelaide Pollard believed that the Lord wanted her in Africa as a missionary. But she was unable to raise the funds to go. Guess what? There's her it. She thought she was wanting to follow God's will. She felt that she was ready to go. She felt like she knew what God wanted her to do. And yet, it wasn't happening. Have you ever been there? When you think you're doing what God wants you to do, and all of a sudden, it just doesn't work out? Well, Adelaide, in an uncertain and troubled state of mind, attended a prayer meeting where she heard an elderly woman pray this prayer. She heard the woman pray, It's all right, Lord. It doesn't matter what you bring into our lives. Just have your own way with us. At home that night, much encouraged from that prayer meeting, Adelaide Pollard wrote this hymn.
That's really what faith is. That's really what it takes. Don't ever doubt what God can do with it. Here's another idea. Don't ever hesitate to go to God with it. Look at it again in verse 12. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. Now watch this. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. And then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter in order that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Do you see that? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are just, they're just doing whatever. They're just going about their daily jobs. They seem to be totally unaware of what was going on until Arioch comes in to have them put to death. Now, what strikes you about this scene as you read it, at least to me it does, is how calm Daniel appears to be. I'm telling you, you don't get a hint of panic or fear or anything in this. Daniel has a quiet confidence about him. And you know why? It's because he's living his faith. He's been living his faith, so that God could demonstrate his power. We talked a lot about that last week. And Daniel knows that there's only one solution to this impossible situation. There's no possible way he can guess what the dream is. Daniel knows that the God of heaven is the only one who can possibly get them out of this. Watch this. Instead of falling into despair and fear, they fall to their knees and call out to the God who has all knowledge. I was reading a story about a man named John Knox who was born near Edinburgh, Scotland in the early part of the 16th century. As a young man, he trained to become a Catholic priest but he came under the influence and the teachings of men known as reformers. They were people who were protesting against the false teachings of the Catholic Church. They believed that the Catholic Church had strayed from the teachings of Scripture. And Knox came under their influence and came to understand that salvation, rather than being something that you could earn or something that you could work for, which the Catholic Church was teaching them, Knox came to understand that salvation was a gift from God that cannot be worked for or earned, but is received totally by faith. 
Now, it would take too long to tell all of the story of political and religious intrigue that was going on at the time, but at one point, John Knox visited a group of, of those protesters, Protestants, who were uh, holed up in a castle that was under siege by some French warships. The French were allies to the Catholics in Scotland, and the men in the castle were accused of murdering a Catholic official. Actually, they had murdered him because he had murdered some Protestant pastor. Like I said, it, 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 it's a lot to get into. But he went and visited these men who were held up there in the castle. And the, while he was there, the men in the castle asked Knox to stay and be their pastor. He agreed. But when the castle was finally taken, Knox, even though he had nothing to do, apparently, with the murder, even though he had nothing to do with it, even though he wasn't there, because he was in the castle, because he was with those men, he was sentenced to serve as a slave, as an oarsman on a French galley, a French ship, for 19 months, almost two years of his life, he served in what must have been horrible conditions. Listen, you want to talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time? Talk about getting slapped upside the head with an ugly dose of circumstances. Talk about a big it. When you don't think you've done anything, talk about a big it in the middle of all that was going on in his life. In the middle of all of that it, Knox was overheard praying, God, give me Scotland or I die. God answered that prayer and John Knox became a powerful force for the truth of God's word. A countless number of Scots came to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of his ministry. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? John Knox wasn't afraid to take it to God. Psalm 145 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to everyone who prays to him, to all who truly pray to him. Let me add one other idea here. Prayer has to be more than just a knee-jerk reaction to a crisis, okay? Many of you can remember what it was like in this country on September 11th, 2001. It seemed like every politician in Washington was calling for Americans to pray, and nobody seemed concerned about separation of church and state in that moment. In the church where I was serving at the time, we had a prayer meeting that night, and it was literally standing room only. The place was packed. The first Sunday after the 9-11 attacks, churches all over America were full. But with each succeeding week, attendance went down, 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 until it was back to pre-9-11 numbers. You see, the further people got from the experience of the crisis, the less they felt the need to pray. Prayer has to be an ongoing, regular part of our lives, like it was for Daniel and his friends. Now, there are a few things to keep in mind about at least part of the purpose of prayer. First, prayer humbles us. And this can be a difficult thing for us because, because we have to admit that we are totally and completely helpless in the situation. By going to God in prayer, we're saying that we don't have what it takes and are completely dependent on God to do something. That can be a scary place to be, can it? 
But listen to me, it can also be a very healthy place for us as well. Because when we get to that place, we're living in the realm of faith, which is where God spends most of our lives trying to get us to anyway. Prayer humbles us. Second, prayer helps us. It helps us emotionally. There have been numerous studies that have shown that people who pray tend to have a lower stress level, less anxiety, and greater peace. And listen, this this isn't some psychological placebo that we're talking about here. There is something about realizing that there is an all-knowing, all-powerful God that we can take our it to that just ministers to us. It helps us emotionally. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, watch this, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Prayer helps us. It really helps us emotionally. It also helps us practically. Now, that's not to say that emotional help isn't practical. It most certainly is. But what I mean by practical is that prayer is where we're going to find the solution to our problem. Now, we may not always know how God is going to answer our prayers, but we can sure know that if we don't pray, then we need not expect to see anything change. James 5, 16, the latter part says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Prayer does help, and it helps us practically. And then third, prayer honors God. Hey, when a co-worker says something like, what are you going to do if you get laid off? And you respond by saying, well, I'm going to the Lord and ask him to resolve it as he knows is best. I'm going to ask him to make provision for me and my family. Listen, when you do something like that, guess what? God is glorified. He's honored. When fear tries to creep into our lives over some situation, when doubt comes calling, when worry threatens to consume us, in those moments of our lives, going to God in prayer honors Him because it demonstrates our belief that God can handle it. So don't ever doubt what God can do with it. Don't ever fail to go to God with it. And then here's a third idea. Don't ever fail to glorify God in it. Look at verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel, watch this, he blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee. For thou hast made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, watch this, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. 
Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. And then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Watch this, verse 27. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he is made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. And as for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. Verse 30, but as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man. But for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. That is so powerful. Notice that Daniel first acknowledges God privately. He acknowledges God's wisdom and knowledge. He acknowledges God's power. He acknowledges God's sovereign rule over all of his creation. He blesses God. He praises God. He thanks God. He acknowledges God privately. He then acknowledges God publicly. He goes to Arioch and says, don't kill all the wise men of Babylon. By the way, that really shows the heart of Daniel right there. That instead of just worrying about himself and his close buddies, he's concerned about even those who are not following the one true God and who do not even like Daniel, as we'll see later in the book. They don't return the favor. In fact, they do all they can to get Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah killed. But anyway, Arioch hurries Daniel into the king's presence. Now, some people have accused Arioch of trying to muscle in on the credit because he tells the king that he's found somebody that can tell and interpret the dream when, in fact, Daniel had gone to Arioch. But I'll tell you, I'm not so sure that Arioch was trying to muscle in on the credit. I think Arioch's taking a big risk here because he doesn't really know if Daniel's got it right or not. Does he? He hasn't heard the dream. He doesn't know the dream. He doesn't know the interpretation. And by rushing into the king's presence and telling the king that he had found somebody that could do it, I don't know for sure, but, but Arioch may very well have been putting his own head on the chopping block. I think that clearly Arioch has seen enough from Daniel to know that there is something special about this young man. Clearly, Daniel has had an influence in Arioch's life. And the king, almost in disbelief, it sounds like, asks Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen and its interpretation? And rather than responding, now watch this, rather than responding, you betcha, yes I can, absolutely, which, by the way, would not have been incorrect. He could tell the dream and interpretation to the king because God had given it to Daniel already. But rather than risk taking any of the credit for himself, Daniel is very clear that no man can do that. 
The wise men couldn't do it. The conjurers couldn't do it. The magicians couldn't do it. The diviners couldn't do it. The sorcerers couldn't do it. Oh, and by the way, there's no wisdom in me either, king. No man can do what you ask. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Now listen, we're going to see in the weeks to come the progression of King Nebuchadnezzar as he comes to believe in the one true God. He's not there yet, but he's going to come to the place where he believes in the one true God. And it all starts right here with Daniel giving all the credit and all the glory to God for this thing. Last Saturday night, our middle son, Todd, came over to watch a fight on TV. He doesn't have cable, and it was on one of our channels. And it's, it's one of those kinds of fights, uh, mixed martial arts or something, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's where they use boxing, they use wrestling, they use kicking, uh, probably biting, gouging, I don't know, pretty much everything. And, uh, and Todd loves that stuff. I know it's very popular in our culture today, but, but he just loves that stuff. And the fight, or actually fights, were taking place in Brazil. It was uh, live in Brazil. And as, as some of you may remember, I didn't preach last uh, Sunday. It was Life Group Sunday, and Bill Hopkins, our Life Group pastor, was preaching. So Saturday night, uh, when Todd came over, I had already spent some time in my study uh, praying for the services and praying for Bill and that sort of thing. So I sat down and I watched the fights with him. Most of my Saturday nights, I, I'm, just, I'm just up in my study in a way. But because I would had some time, I came down and I watched the fight with my son. And there were several preliminary fights before the main event. Some of you know that Todd professes to be an atheist at this point in his life. Well, I don't know what's going on in Brazil, but it seemed like every fighter that won their fight just started praising Jesus in the interview after the fight. I mean, they're thanking God for the for the strength, praising God for the ability they have, giving credit to the Lord Jesus Christ for helping them beat the mess out of the other guy. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was like a Billy Graham crusade in a steel cage octagon. It was awesome. And I'll tell you, I couldn't help but giggle inside a little as Todd sat there with his pastor dad listening to all these fighters that he loves praising the God that they love. You know, you see professional athletes in all different kinds of sports giving credit to God. And sometimes you hear that, that some people's lifestyle doesn't match their lip service. But in all of our lives, all of our lives, we have the opportunity to glorify God. Especially in the it moments of our lives. And like Daniel, we must not fail to give glory to God. In Luke chapter 17, uh, there's this account, there's this story. Uh, let me just read it to you. It says, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he being Jesus, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, watch this, one of them, 
when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. In other words, he wasn't Jewish. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now listen, I know we'd, we'd all like to think that, that we'll always give glory to God in our lives. But if we're not intentional, we may forget that this is about letting others know that there is a God in heaven who is able. Life doesn't always go the way we'd like it to, does it? But when we go to God, when we trust in God, we can be sure that He's always working in the situation the way we need Him to. And you and I should thank Him, praise Him, glorify Him, both privately and publicly. And God will use the glory we give to Him to draw others to Him. That's what God was doing through Daniel and His it. What does God want to do in and through you and the it of your life? And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word and know its truth. We pray that in the it moments of our lives, that we would recognize that the answer is him. It's you, Lord God. And that by faith, we would trust in you in the midst of those events that aren't pleasant, that aren't enjoyable, that oftentimes shake our faith and our confidence, but that when we go to you, as Daniel and his friends went to you, we can have every expectation that you will answer and that through it you will be honored and glorified as we give all the glory and the honor to you. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is ahead of each and every crisis, trial, tribulation, every it in our lives. We give them to you and we ask for you to be glorified in our lives, especially in the it moments of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're only in the very early chapters of the book of Daniel, but it's becoming more and more apparent that Daniel and his friends had an unshakable faith in God. And as we're seeing, that faith was well-placed because God is working in the situations that they found themselves in. When they heard the impossible situation that they were in, rather than hiding in fear or falling into despair, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah chose to believe that God could give them the answer they needed. What about you and me? When those times come into our lives, do we turn to God? Do we trust Him and praise Him when He moves? No matter what life may throw at us, our God is faithful, and He can be trusted to do exactly what needs to be done, exactly when it needs to be done. 
We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.